Bring me shelter, I will not harm you. Bring me shelter, please. Bring me shelter, I will not harm you. I would shelter you. People would do anything for their families. It could happen to anyone anytime. Somebody in France, somebody in England basically sat down with a ruler and just drew lines on maps. There are many different ethnic and religious groups that have been divided across borders and this has caused a significant amount of conflict. There are a lot of people who need safety. It is really cruel for a country like Australia to have policies that are focused only on pushing people away. What we're seeing is a number of people that remain in a state of limbo. And when non-sustainable land use combines with climate change, the crisis of refugees... I wasn't able to go and play with children. I had to go and really be an adult from a very young age. I think that's something that a lot of migrant children can relate to. Really, it was a dream for me to reunite with my family. I was just praying and hoping that that day will come one day. I think it's very important for people to understand that people have their own dreams as well and they're wanting to change the world with everybody else. Refugee Radio, 855 AM, 3CR. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land who we are broadcasting from, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and respect the elders past, present and emerging and their ongoing struggle. Welcome to Refugee Radio this week on 3CR, 855 AM, or on 3cr.org.au. We are going to be continuing to listen to The Wait podcast and we're going to be listening now to episode 3 and part 2 of that. Please note that within this podcast there may be references to suicide. It's only a couple of hours by plane from Makassar to Batam which is in the far northwest of Indonesia. By the time I arrived there, refugees had already heard about the arrests in Makassar. Because refugees live so closely in detention centres and then, you know, community shelters and they get moved from one end of the country to another end in just a moment's notice, they have a lot of friends and friendships that stretch across Indonesia. I took a taxi to the refugee accommodation there. It's away from the main part of the city, right near the ferry terminal that takes you to Singapore in half an hour. That's where the refugee accommodation is, right on the border. Yeah, it's only men there, packed into this stark concrete tower with boxy dorm rooms. When I arrived there, a demonstration was underway. A couple of hundred men were sitting in a courtyard with arms raised in crosses above their faces, chanting and holding placards. These demonstrations used to take place on the city's streets, but they were banned from there and they had to move back inside the refugee accommodation where there's no one to disturb, no one even to notice them apart from a few cleaners and guards. We have been protesting, demanding repeatedly UNHCR in Indonesia to speed up the resettlement program for the refugees who have been living in Indonesia in a state of constant uncertainty, depression and frustration for the 
past eight years. Uh, my name is Shamsullah Husseini and I'm 20 years of age and I am originally from Afghanistan, belong to the most persecuted group called Hazara people. Shams is quite outspoken on social media and he's an active organizer in the refugee community, but I actually have never met him in person. What's he like? Yeah, thank you so much for coming and checking. Well, he's a writer. He's philosophical, very softly spoken and polite to a fault. We really appreciate it. It's really good. Thanks for taking us. So I will hold your thing. You can... He became my guide for the day. We are in a refugee accommodation in Skopang best in Batam, Indonesia. Just a year earlier, Shams was protesting as well, but from inside a detention centre. Yeah, they were sending videos and photos out through social media. And what I saw at the community shelter that day looked almost identical to that. This open community housing, this is open, but it's still a prison. We have a curfew. We go outside at 6am and we have to be present in accommodation at 6pm. We felt like we are in another detention centre. So we will go inside the, the rooms. Okay, this way, yeah? Yeah. So uh, this is the second floor, and this is one of the rooms. And it's very dark. Like It is very dark. Yeah, this is my room. So... What's your name? Malik. Muhammad. Yeah, we are from Sudanese. Uh, we are victim from the genocide happening in Darfur. Yeah. yeah. So you can see... One and two and three guys, they are sick for a long time and then they are sleeping. One guy, he's sick three years, he has a uh, stomach problem and uh, one of them has a kidney problem and every single day he cannot sleep. So, as you see, now it's, the time is 11, people are sleeping. Yeah, it's quarter to 12 in the day and, yeah, three of the four beds in this room have people still lying in it, looking pretty sick. Yeah, and we talk with migration, immigration. They said you can talk to with IOM. When we take message to IOM, IOM said we cannot treat all the people. The International Organisation for Migration runs these accommodation shelters. They're supposed to provide medical care, but according to their policy, it's only in life-threatening situations. Nine person. So you're showing me the bathroom yeah. for nine if, people? If you, yeah, if you want to take the shower, you can wait. You can wait two hours until you can take shower. So if you want to sit down, you can't sit down because don't have uh, enough space. Yeah. So you stay in bed or you go outside? Yeah, of course. That's better. We can stay outside. Yeah, yeah thank you so much. Thank you. As I was leaving, I noticed these pots. So you've got like plastic containers filled with cements on the end of metal poles, yeah? yeah exactly. I was wondering yeah. what they were. And Shams told me that this was DIY gym equipment. They want to prepare themselves. They want to be ready for the country that accept them. That's why they do not want to go to the country that they are sick, both mentally and physically. The, 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 the pressure is a lot on refugees, but again, they are trying to keep themselves busy and healthy. 
I can understand, I can relate to them because, you know, in my day-to-day also, there are at least 10 things that I want to do that I hear from my family later in the next country, later in the, you know, third country after you are resettled. Mm. So it's just a painful, hopeful wait. Yeah, it was like I was looking at all these buff chiseled bodies, but they were barely kind of here. They weren't for this, you know. It is very small. It is very hot. It's completely like a box when we stuff a thing inside it and lock the door. So this is the place where we are kept. Like we should not be comfortable. I think this is also part of the system which is designed to keep the people like in a bad situation so they get mentally and physically tired. They're waiting for us, the family. Shall we Let's go? go yeah. yeah, okay. That then we great. will have time. You said that accommodation block was full of men. Are there families staying in bottom too? Yeah, that's where Shams took me next, to a rundown old hotel on the other side of the island where there's a couple of hundred families with kids living there. When we arrived, there were all of these police waiting for us. They started taking our photos, following us around, asking questions. Maybe immigration guards at the men's shelter had tipped them off and told them we were heading there. I don't know, but it certainly felt intimidating. Refugees then ushered me inside and they lined up to talk. You wanted to say something and then I think we have to go. We spoke quickly and very nervously. What I want to say is you are the first who came here to Batam from the foreign countries to take a record what's going on with the refugee here in Batam in this island. No one, no media came here. You are the first one who came here. What did they want to tell you? They wanted education, work rights to get out of there. We were all so jumpy. Every time the door opened, it was just another refugee who wanted to talk to me and tell me the same thing. I want to say something again. I'm so glad I wasn't there with you. I wanted to understand why there are all these rules and regulations from an Indonesian point of view. I'd seen an article in the Jakarta Globe by an immigration official from the Sumatran city of Pekanbaru. His name is Ilham. A lot of Indonesians only go by one name. My role when I visit the accommodation, I talk to the refugees and asylum seekers. I make sure they know the rules. Maybe sometimes they forget. They were not allowed to leave Pekanbaru for any reason. If they want to do something, for example, in the hotel, for example, they want to do gathering, they have to inform immigration first and they were not allowed to invite Indonesian guests or whoever to their accommodation. One time we enforced a rule that all asylum seekers and refugees have to wear a different identification card hanging around their neck because that's what the local government wanted. So how did you feel about enforcing those kinds of regulations? Uh, Sometimes, (laughs) personally, yeah, I didn't agree with all regulations. The refugees and asylum seekers, they were not really treated well. Ilham told me that he had so many questions about the work that he was doing that he needed to take some time out. And he did a research master's in the area before returning to his work in the immigration department. It's interesting that refugees and asylum seekers have been coming to or passing through Indonesia 
since the 1970s and yet there's still such little awareness of who a refugee and asylum seeker is and where they're from and why they might be there. Yeah, yeah. In the past, the, the refugees were accommodated in one island because the government didn't want them to integrate with the local communities. And in the past, the handling of the refugees was trusted to the army. But now, the situation is different. And amongst the local community, what are the concerns about refugees and asylum seekers? Like many uh, local communities, they had fear. They were afraid that these migrants will create problems. The most tension with the local communities is that because in, in Pekanbaru, mostly are Afghan refugees and asylum seekers, and they are Shia Muslim. Because Indonesia's majority Sunni. Yeah, Sunni and Shia tension. But others than that, they are just afraid that maybe they having a relationship with the girls or they were afraid how long they going to live in Pekanbaru and also from the police. They tend to make very restrictive regulations. They limit their, their movements in the city. This problem was not really uh, understood well, not only by the local communities, even my agency, my supervisor or people in immigration. The simple thing, they call them illegal migrants. So in 2016, there was this presidential decree, which was the first time that refugees and asylum seekers were actually acknowledged in any Indonesian legal document, I believe. Yeah, so this regulation provides uniform procedure in handling refugees and asylum seekers in terms of rescue, shelter, registration, security, all practices we have been doing for a long time. But what this regulation forgets to mention, while refugees are in transit, their basic rights are not really respected, like allowing them to go to school for refugee children, allowing them to seek employment. Those are not mentioned at all in this presidential regulation. That presidential regulation is security-based regulation, but what Indonesia needs to implement is basic rights. And is there a movement towards rights-based regulations in Indonesia? No. The policymakers, Indonesian policymakers, tend to have view of refugee and asylum seeker problem. It's not their problem, and then it's still the dominant view of Indonesian policymakers. Another reason could be there is no pressure from international communities. The government thinks that the migrants, they only transit Indonesia until they get resettlement. And there's still one more meeting with Shams in Batam that you have to tell me about. Later that day, he came to my hotel room. He brought a bag of local fruit and I offered him melted Tim Tams, which he was thoroughly underwhelmed by. <laughs> I agree with Shams on that. I hate Tim Tams. I think they're gross. <laughs> we sat by the window and the afternoon light was fading away and we talked for hours. There were moments as we were talking about his life back in Afghanistan that his face would just light up, but then suddenly this shadow would fall back over it. And I just couldn't see past it. It was like he was consumed by something that I'd never be able to know. He brought a friend, Karim, 
who told me about their friend, Abbas Mohammadi. We were there this morning at the shelter where you're living and somebody pointed out the place where Abbas hung himself and I was shocked to see that it's right in the middle of the courtyard. It's a very central place. There's very few places to go in that shelter, nowhere to sit inside. How do you live in that place after something like that's happened? When I see that place, my heart burns. His room is just opposite mine. When I wake up in the morning, I'm reminded of him. I heard about this in September 2017. Abbas Mohammadi, has our asylum seeker, and he was a father of five, committed suicide in that shelter. Karim and Abbas were best friends. And he said in detention as well as in this community shelter, the two of them were always side by side. They did everything together. If I cannot forget how his family, his wife and children can forget. I know Abbas for the past five years. He was not an ordinary person. He was very intelligent, kind and open-minded. He was very active in the community from the time he arrived to the camp until he was gone. That terrible night, I was asleep. My friend rushed into my room. He called me to walk up as fast as I could. We both hurried down the stairs. When I reached near to the metal bar, he was uh, hanging on the rope. It was like a terrifying moment for me and I was completely lost. So when his friend put his feet, which was hanging, on his arm and hold him up on his arms and someone brought a knife and cut the rope. Everyone was devastated. They are trying to forget that moment with inhaling the smoke of the secret into their lungs. And I was not a smoker. I was just leaning my back on the wall and looking at the people. No one was speaking to each other and everyone was in a state of shock. And after that one, every night, the image of Abbas was appearing in my dream. And I woke up with the fear. What do you think was going on for Abbas? He was detained for 13 months in detention center in a very difficult situation. He came out of the detention center and he lived for another one and a half years in accommodation, but nothing has been progressed. He was worried. And also his future was completely unclear. And he, I think he thought that he couldn't handle this. Are you worried for anybody else in your community? Exactly. Two other people attempted suicide as well since then. Nobody can guarantee the life of someone living in detention. I agree with him. You can't tell when somebody is fed up with their life and their situation. One day they're good, the next day they attempt suicide, so you never know. 
We were talking so long it had started to get dark. When they mentioned curfew, we were suddenly reminded. Maghrib, the evening prayer, was starting to float through the air. Shams and Krim would have liked to stay and have a cup of tea or some food, just something to remind us that we're all human. But instead there was this sudden hurry. We had to order a taxi and get them back to curfew. That's a pretty abrupt ending to such a big conversation. Yeah. It would have been nice to end another way. As they were leaving, I saw Shams looking around the hotel and I suddenly felt so embarrassed by how comfortable it was. When I entered into the detention centre, I thought it is not necessary to humiliate or to dehumanise the refugees, to treat them with violence, with power. These four years of uh, life in detention made me, like, stronger. I have a feeling that when someone is sitting beside me and he's hungry, and I have a lot to eat. If I do not share something with that person at night, how can I sleep with, uh, with the full stomach? I think a person with uh, human feeling cannot go to the bed with, with that feeling while they know that people are left on the border for six years, for seven years, for eight years. I'm Nicole Kirby. You've been listening to The Wait. Next episode, we're back on Mojgan's beat in Jakarta. And I want to know where she finds her fight. The first time I saw her, she was like, What is wrong with her? We need to solve the problem now because the more we postpone, what will happen in our future? The Wait was written and produced by Nicole Kirby and co-hosted by me, Mojgan Marafizadeh. Michael Green is the co-writer and supervising producer. Sound design and mixing by Beck Fari. The Wait was produced in conjunction with The Guardian and first aired on their Full Story News podcast with editorial support from Miles Martignoni at The Guardian Australia. Support for this project was provided by the Walkley Public Fund and the Judith Nielsen Institute Freelance Grant for Asian Journalism. A big thank you to everyone who shared their story for this series. Thanks also to Tessa Rex, Trish Cameron, Andre Dow, Jem Romold, Patrick Tumau, Ben Doherty and Abdul Karim Hekmat. Theme music by Emma Davis. Thanks for listening to this series. If you liked it, share it with your friend and leave us a rating and review. There are also photos, videos and more information on our website, theweightpodcast.com. Hi, this is Rafiv Ziada and you're listening to 3CR Pro-Palestinian Happily Proud Radio. You've been listening to Refugee Radio on 3CR 855 AM and we've just finished episode 3 from The Weight Podcast. You can look it up online 
on their website, The Weight Podcast, and we'll have some information on the 3CR page as well. Now we're going to finish with a song from a refugee from Syria, being that it's the 10-year anniversary, March 2011, the anniversary since the war started there, and thinking about the large amount of refugees and generally people who have had to flee Syria. So we're going to listen to a track now by MC AK with Burning Bridges. And also remember that from 12 o'clock today on 3CR, there is the Binary Busting podcast leading up to the 2021 Transgender Day Visibility. Uh, So enjoy, and that's from 12 to 7. You keep listening to 3CR. My name is Ali Karsa. They call me MCAK. I came all the way from Syria, and this is my story. Listen. Seven numbers They ask me to freestyle And get the in-between Listen to my raps And shoot that of me Looking like, looking like Blah, blah, blah Musicians clap Musicians disaster cross So suddenly I see girls are using me How everybody hearing me now Sing it with the chorus But rain is the worst I'm not special But I feel by telescope I hate Rachel And I still have the hope I had no choice So I sacrificed When I hold the mic With the shit satisfied With my three and I grew Broke the gloomy chain After the old lane Tried to puff my night I see it, I can see it On my child I got a tear on my back Quite to off for China Yo, yo, are you ready for the show? Inhaling the ear And watching the season flow For me cats who blows on the stones Then let it go, feel let it go Just let me know so I can play again and again Stop between bloody judging bitches It's standing over a diamond And diamond bitches I just wanna send my message to the listeners I'll be anchored on the off switches So enormous explosions like this Got a dynamic balance of us like a supersonic I rock it, it's my fame, AK I got a name when I rap on my lane I destroy you, hear you when I talk to you Feel it, I love you honey, honey Funny, I don't need your money Just underline it, read it like I came from Syria Addicted to my rhymes, come on, come on Just keep it there, yeah to the division where I remember my decision I'm looking at the mirror The roof is falling so I can use them Well I stop making my roots stop observing me I'm catching from inside Looking left and right Running, running, can't beat Just a place like a deep Falcons is hitting a dead king Lions having see it like a fire Where's your talking is a difference Talks and kill it all Yo, yo, are you ready for the show? Inhaling the ear and watching the season flow So me catch your blows on the stones Then let it go, feel let it go Just let me know so I can repeat it again and again Stop between bloody judging bitches it's standing over diamond Burning bitches I just wanna send my message to the listeners Let me anchored on the office switches My office is a hole From where? Blonde hair? Somewhere? Why I shout this conflict against the high? Let it be like a gossip Humiliated by homies the worst day Dead shit moments I'm supposed to be the water The one who was right I'm supposed to be the fighter The one who was right for his life For his right yeah Where it's wild to get the chance It was not a thought I just heard it by my hands When I stepped to the stage Always a smile on my face Slinger ring a sink a snake Sink line I'm the king You can't exist against the king About blinking the eyes But I'm sexist right away It hurts when I'm blocked to the last She's a fucking tongue Gonna so cheap Pop the 
beat, we can use it in need. Yo, yo, are you ready for the show? Inhaling the ear and watching the season flow. So we get to blows, no stops. No matter the path, we let it go. Just let me know so I can repeat again and again. Stuck between me, bloody judging bitches. It's standing over them and burning bitches. I just wanna send my message to all this mess. Let me out of Join me, Aya Cry with Ubuntu Voices. Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. on 3CR. Ubuntu is a Zulu word, meaning I am here because you are. Ubuntu celebrates the positive contribution African-Australian make to our communities in music, academia, the arts, and everything in between. Come with me on a journey. Ubuntu Voices, every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. None of us are free. One of us is chained. None of us are free.